Well, today we're going to get into the Word and we're going to talk about the vengeance of God and, and what God has done uh, for us uh, in Jesus Christ. The reason why I teach about this, and I've said this in the previous three sessions as well, this is a, I think this is a four-part series that we talked of, where we are talking about the, the vengeance of God, is the reason why we talk about this is very simple. If you are afraid of God then you will not have boldness towards Him. In any relationship, the moment you are afraid of somebody, then you will not make contact with Him, you will not talk to Him, you will avoid Him, or anything like that. If you work at a shop, and, um, or if you owe money at a shop, you will all of a sudden not go to that shop anymore. Why? Because you are afraid of the vengeance of the shop owner, whom you are owe owing money. In the very same way, uh, God has, God wants to, uh, the, the, it's the same truth between us and God. If we come and we say, you know, we are indebted to God or God has got this vengeance and this outpouring where he's going to destroy, um, destroy us in the last day in the return of Christ and all those kind of things, we will not have boldness towards God. We will be afraid of God. And especially if we find uh, 20 preachers coming preaching scriptures from the Bible, talking about this outpouring of the fire of God in the last days, when he's just going to destroy everybody that didn't want to do his will. Now, I want to tell you this. God is he's not in the destruction business. He's not in the, into the destruction of people business. You remember what I said last Sunday? when uh, the people didn't want to allow Jesus to walk through a certain town, and then the sons of thunder say to Jesus, Jesus, shall we call fire from heaven like Elijah and consume all these people? And then Jesus said, no, we shall not do that. You don't know what spirit you are of. I have not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, here is a case where people didn't want to allow Jesus to walk through their city. Now, imagine what a bad thing that is. If I think of our town, if Jesus was outside of town and he calls and he asks, listen, can I walk through your town? And you say, no, you can't walk through Malmesbury. Imagine that. How rude would that be? The disciples found it so rude that they felt that that was enough reason to call down fire from heaven to destroy all the people in town. And then Jesus said, you don't know the Spirit of God. You don't know what spirit you are of. You don't know the attitude of God inside the throne room. You don't know that. You are not mindful of that. You are still under the spirit of judgment and condemnation. That's why you want to destroy people's lives if they refuse Jesus to uh, walk through their town. Now, I think in church we've had the very same thing. We would say, Jesus is saying, I want to walk through your finances, I want to walk through your marriage, I want to walk through here and, and there. And if, if people uh, say no, and they may be unsure, or whatever the reason would be, then we want to just all of a sudden con uh, uh, announce condemnation and, and all those kind of things over those people. But that is not the way God functions. That is not the heart of God. Now, if we live with fear in our hearts, it will destroy our relationship with God. Any relationship, be it a marital relationship, be, be it a, a father-son relationship, be it a, a relationship between you and workers or whatever, 
if the relationship is fear-based, if they are scared of you, um, that relationship will never be able to reach its maximum potential. That is just the way it is. You might have some form of relationship, but it will not be what it can be. Now, when we think of the vengeance of God, we think of fire coming from heaven, destroying people, and all those kind of things. So we will have to go and look at some scriptures in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as pertaining to the vengeance of God so that we can uh, uh, find peace in our hearts. We have to look at it from the perspective of grace so that we can have, find peace in our hearts so that we can come boldly to God. Now, if you, um, I said it this morning, any scripture that you read in the Bible, be it Old Testament or New Testament, must line up with Jesus and what He has done and what He has shown. Jesus is called the Word of God. Jesus is the perfect and the correct interpretation of every Old Testament verse, every New Testament verse, everything God wants to say he is saying it inside Jesus. If he's not saying it, uh, if, if Jesus wouldn't do it, it is not the word of God. So if you are saying God is going to come and, and uh, call down fire from heaven and just destroy people's lives in the return of Christ, and you've got your five verses for it, then I want to tell you, you are not understanding those verses. Your, in, your way in which you interpret those verses is simply wrong and it will leave you in a place where you've got fear as the motivator in your relationship with God. Well, you cannot just really relax. If I think of, of um, my marriage or I think of my finances or business or any of those kind of things or ministry, the peace that's inside me is, does not derive from who are my financial supporters? It, it does not come from what is the next check that's in the post or what has some businessman promised me or any of that. It comes from a place where God, over time, it wasn't just my decision, it was God over time bringing my heart to a place where I feel safe with Him where I know He will never treat me according to my works. And He will always want to deliver me. He will always want to save me. He will always want to bring me to a safe place. And from there, I find peace. I find joy. It doesn't matter what happened. You find peace in your heart. And that peace is born from God. Now, if I had a belief that said, you know, God, when He sees something wrong, He keeps score of it, and in the last day, He's going to pour out fire and burn those that didn't want to listen, um, something's wrong with it. You know, there's scriptures in the Bible that says we need to fear God. Now, when we look at those verses and we go and study it out for what it truly is, it doesn't say we need to fear God or be afraid of God. It means we need to have reverence or respect for God. It was never God's intention for any of us to ever live in one moment of fear towards Him, where we are afraid of Him. Imagine you've got, imagine Eliana and I, we sit at home and I say, you know, 
there's not a lot of people that fear me in town and uh, let us have three or four kids so that we can really make them afraid of us and then they can be afraid of us. And the more they're afraid of us, the more we will bless them. And when they hear my name, then they would shiver in fear because here is dad. Or if they are at home and dad comes, uh, dad, dad comes home after a week where he's worked somewhere, they are now really sore afraid. They are so scared that they are sore. Now imagine that. That is not a father-son relationship. That is not what God has intended for us. But when we think of end times, when we think of the return of Christ, people are shaking and they are fearing and they are scared. That was never God's intention. When we think of the return of Christ, it's supposed to bring joy into your heart. Now, let us look at Matthew 3. And uh, we're going to look at um, the day of vengeance of God. I've talked about this in the previous three sessions, but just bear with me because there are people that might, have, might be slotting in for the first time. So um, just bear with me. Let me explain this again. Matthew, uh, John the Baptist comes and he was baptizing in the Jordan River. And when he was baptizing there, a lot of the Pharisees came and wanted to know what is this guy doing? And then John said, who warned you against the wrath to come or against the vengeance of God. Don't think that you will escape the vengeance of God because you are Jews. That's what he said to them. He said to them, you think that you've got Abraham as your father? I want to tell you, you're a brood of vipers. The devil is your father. The snake is your father because the, 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 the belief system of Satan, which is works, which is I am what I do is inside them and they are born from it and so he said to them O generation of vipers who has warned you to flee from the coming wrath in other words what he was saying to them is you're a generation of snakes nobody has warned nobody's warned you and now you come to see what i'm busy with here and as you are watching this i want to tell you something you are about to be judged by god you are about to, to be burnt by the fire of God. And then he's going to explain to them what it is all about. He even says the axe is at the root. And when he says that, he's talking about certain systems and all of that. And let us read it and then I'll explain exactly what's going on there. He says, now let, let me just recap. Number one, the most important thing I want you to remember, to remember is this. We don't have to be afraid of God neither of the end time judgment we don't have to be afraid it's not the plan of god god is good and his goodness shall be revealed in the end time judgment amen second thing i want you to remember any scripture you read in the bible must line up with what jesus has demonstrated in his life towards sinners and towards people he's loved people he wept for the pharisees he wept for the people that that that, that um didn't want to accept him. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like a hen wanted to gather his chicks. I wanted to gather you, but you don't want to. Crying. Jesus, how did Jesus deal with the prostitutes? How did he deal with the tax collectors and the outcasts of society? And how did he deal with those that nailed him to the cross? While they were nailing him, he prayed and said, Father, Forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, 
if, if our message of judgment, end-time judgment, contradicts the character portrayed in Jesus, it's wrong. So that's the second point I want you to remember. And thirdly, we're going to explain now a physical manifestation of the judgment of God when Jesus walked on the earth. Right, here we go. They went out, um, out, they went out to him, uh, Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of the region around the Jordan, and, where, uh, and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when, they saw many, but when he saw, this is John the Baptist, many Pharisees and Sadducees came to the baptism. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit that is meat of repentance. In other words, what he was saying to these Pharisees, he says, listen, you've got all the laws, but you don't have good fruit in your life. I want, you think that you are a child of God because... You are just a son of Abraham. I want to tell you something. You cannot even do the law that you follow. And think not to say within yourselves, we, are, we have Abraham as father. For I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, John said, but he that comes after me, talking about Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now let me explain that. What, what two trees can you think of? If you think of the Garden of Eden, for instance. You can think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you can think of the tree of life. Now, the Bible says the axe is against the root of the trees. There are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the axe of God is against the, the root of those trees. And any one of these trees that cannot produce fruit, any of these trees that cannot produce eternal life, inside people, God is going to cut that tree out. Now, the Jews thought that the law system was the tree of life. They thought that they would have life by the works of the law. So the tree that they were eating from, Jesus calls the fig tree. Remember when Jesus came from Jerusalem, or just before he went to Jerusalem, he, um, he, he cursed the fig tree. And when he cursed the tree, the tree just died. And then he says, never shall any man eat of you again. For that tree didn't have fruit. Remember the fig tree? Jesus came to the fig tree, couldn't find any fruit there. And then he cursed the tree. And the tree withered and died, never to bear fruit. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? It's very simple. In the, tree, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve went and they took fig leaves. And they wanted to clothe themselves. And as they want to clothe themselves with fig leaves, the fig tree symbolizes man trying to cover himself or clothe himself by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a works mentality where you try to find life by your good works. So Jesus cursed that tree. So the axe was at the root of which tree? The fig tree. And he, and he said the axe is at the root of the tree and he will cut the tree down and burn it with an unquenchable fire. 
He will destroy it. So how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus cut away the whole law system wherein if you're wrong, you cannot be blessed? How did he cut away all of that? From there, from at that place where John said that, Jesus came and went into the Jordan River and took the sin of the whole world upon him. And when he took the sin of the whole world and death upon him, and that death manifested in his body upon the cross, what that means is that the tree whereby we are cursed has got nothing to say anymore, for its fruit is many, was manifested in the death of Christ, and we've been set free from that. Yet, the, um, the Pharisees, and I'm going to use a little bit of typology here, they were selling figs in the market. So, by their teaching, they were saying, listen, this is what you need to do to have eternal life. And they were preachers of that fig tree. And here Jesus comes, he says, I'm ending the law system. I'm ending all of this. And where does that leave the Pharisees? What Jesus is doing is coming and he's burning up their whole theology. He's burning up their way of thinking. They were thinking, oh, you know, the Jews are special people. It's only about the Jews. They are the people of God and the Messiah would only come for the Jews and not for all people and that God in Jesus would lift the Jews up so high that all the nations will be drawn to them through the financial prosperity they have and all that rubbish. In the meantime, what God had in mind was to end the whole system where one nation is God's special people and where He would declare all people are sinners and I take the sin of all people on me. And when Jesus did that, he put the axe to the root of the tree, whereby we are justified by our works, and he ended it all. Now, that is Matthew chapter 3. Now, that was prophesied from, I printed out the one verse four times, and not the right one. Okay, but I can uh, just refer you to, Malachi 4. If you go to Malachi 4, the Bible talks about the day of the vengeance of God, the terrible day where the sun, a sun of vengeance will rise. And when this sun of vengeance rises, it will burn away the enemies of God. And then it says, just before that terrible day, the Bible calls the terrible day, just before that terrible day, there'll come a guy called John the Baptist. So, Here's the terrible day of God, which will come one day. But just before that day, there'll come a guy on the scene. His name will be John the Baptist. And this John the Baptist will prepare the way wherein the day of the Lord will manifest. So this day of vengeance, this day of um, absolute burning all the chaff and burning all the trees, was when Jesus walked on the earth wherein he burnt away the mentality that all religions had about who God was by loving sinners, raising the dead, making, multiplying food, feeding the hungry, and being a friend of sinners, wherein he would hang out with tax collectors, take the sin of the whole world upon him, and declare innocence for mankind. When Jesus did that, he completely destroyed and burnt up every concept of God as an angry God by manifesting who God is. Now, the, that fire, as I said, uh, uh, I think two weeks ago, is an unquenchable fire. 
That means you can preach law as long as what you want. This fire will destroy your message. You can preach tithing, sowing and reaping. You must do this. You must bind the devil over your town. Your children can have demons if your forefathers had demons. All those kind of things. You can preach all of that until you're blue in the face. At the end of the day, your doctrine will not stand. It will be found out as not the truth by the love that God manifests towards sinners. You will find that those people you think shouldn't be blessed, they are blessed. You will find that the one person that doesn't pray as much as what you think, he's got the peace in his heart and things work for him. Because God shows his love towards man and the love of God burns up the concepts, the wrong concepts and mentalities that we have. Now, uh, when, we, when we look at this vengeance and we think of the end time vengeance, you might say, but Bertie is going to be different than the end time vengeance. One thing that God struggles with is to change. He doesn't change. That's one of the big things God has got a big struggle with. He struggles to be good one day and bad the next day. He is the same. Yesterday, today and forever. He can never change. There's no shadow of turning with Him. Let no man say that any evil that comes over his path comes from God. Now, in the end time vengeance, the Bible says that God will uh, recompense um, uh, uh, or God will, God will come and he will, he will pour out vengeance upon those that don't love Him. And we can read that in Hebrews. Let me read that in Hebrews. It says here, should I read Hebrews or... It says, not forsaking, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It says, go to church, basically. Fellowship with one another. And let me say this. I'm not saying just go to church. People, if, if grace is not preached, unless you've got a mandate from God to go and help those people, don't go there. Simple. Because you're going to be indoctrinated again with fear and unbelief in your heart and you will not know why you cannot trust God. You will one day be happy, the next day be depressed. You know, we will not, if, if we must invest money somewhere, we always want to make sure it's the best investment. But when it comes to spirituality, you just want to invest in the, it doesn't matter what they preach. Now, what is preached is very important. Right, it says, not forsaking the assembling, of ourselves together as some has the manner to do, but exhorting one another as much as you see the day of the vengeance of God approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for, uh, for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy of, who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing, and has done despite to the Spirit of grace. Now let me explain that. That sounds bad, but it's very good news. What he is saying here, he's talking to the Jews, because it's Hebrews, it's listen, written to the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people. He says to them, listen guys, you want to go back to the law, and 
and have sacrifices. There's no sacrifice that can cleanse you. man. There's only one that has cleansed you and that is Jesus. So if you willfully go back to the law system, under that law system, what does the law produce in your life? Death. It's called the ministration of death. Now, if the law was there, the Ten Commandments, and if we could not keep that, death was the consequence. In other words, if what we thought could save us, which was the law, if we could not keep that, and the consequence was death, what do you think would be the effect of not taking the lifeline when Jesus throws it to you? It would not be Jesus, after throwing the lifeline, waiting 30 minutes to see if you take the lifeline, and then if you don't take the lifeline, he commands the skipper and say, go closer, and takes a bat and kills you in the ocean. Because he didn't want to take the lifeline. No, the ocean is what will kill you. Under the law, you could suffer a physical death. But under the rejection of Christ, because what Christ comes to save us from is not just, uh, 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 just death. He's come to save us from eternal death. He's come to save us from our sins. The law never had the power to save you from sin. But here, Jesus comes with the power to save you from sin. And if you reject Jesus, what happens? the thing you're under that He wants to save you from will destroy your life. It's not God. <laughs> My goodness, He's come to save you. He's not called the Savior for no reason. He's not called the Savior because the Holy Spirit didn't have something to tell somebody to write in the Bible and then He says, okay, just write Savior just for now. No, no, He's called the Savior for He is the Savior that will save His people from their sins. And the judgment of God and the, the wrath of God is this. I've come to bring life to you. This is the life that I have brought to you. And I will never allow the system of death to amalgamate or be joined with my system. So if you want to dwell under that system, I will love you. I'll be there for you. But if you want to walk in that, I want to just say to you, that will utterly destroy you. That is it. So the vengeance of God, when we look at God taking vengeance on something, we see that God takes vengeance on what destroys man's life. And this is what God says. This is God's vengeance. The law cannot give you life. And therefore I will save you from what kills you. I'll save you from the law and I'll break the enslavement power of the law off your back. That he did when he was on the earth. And in his return, you know what he will do? He will manifest what he has redeemed us from. He will manifest the freedom that, he's, that we've gained in our lives. You know what that will mean? When Jesus returns, you will be in manifestation as holy and as full of life as He is because of His doing. That's why you don't have to be afraid of the return of Christ. For what the grace of God will do, in the day Christ returns, you will find your body being made immortal by the grace of God. For God says, I'll burn up all death in you. That's what will happen in the final judgment of Christ. He will burn up all death. He will burn up all destruction. That's what He will do. And what I think, and this is, and, and I want to end with this, <clears throat> and this is just my thought. 
if you would ask the people in the Old Testament, what do you think the day of vengeance of God according to Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, what would it be? Let me read that Malachi 3 here. Um, it says, But who may abide in the day of the coming of the Lord? And who shall stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like a strong soap. And He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And He shall purify the sons of Levi. So He says here, listen, who shall stand before God and say, I am as holy as God? There will be no man, for He is coming to cleanse us. The fire is to clean us. And we have made this fire hard times. No. <laughs> the fire is not hard times. The fire is the knowledge of who God really is. That is the fire. That is what, what has come. Now, if you would ask the people, you know, Malachi wrote and said there will be a fire that will purify the people and whatever. What do you think? How will that day look? They would say, no, no, no. You, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? A fire came and devoured the people and whatever. And here all of a sudden when Jesus came, we saw no fire. And even when one of the disciples asked for physical fire, Jesus refused and rebuked them. So now, how will the end time judgment look? Because... These people obviously thought a physical fire of hell is going to fall from heaven and destroy people. And here, what, what actually happened, a loving Jesus came and saved people from what destroyed them. Now, what do you think will happen in the time of Christ when He comes again? Now, one will say, no, it's going to be a hell fire that fall. Other will say, it's going to be smoke, you know, all the BMWs and the Audis and the whatever is going to be melted by the fire of God. I was in a church where that was taught, um, and all those kind of things. God's got no issue with an Audi or a BMW or a Mercedes or anything like that. He doesn't have issues with those things. What He's got an issue with is what destroys your life. And He wants to burn that away. That's what He wants to do. Now, other people will say, no, the fire of God is just, um, you know, uh, 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 the anger of God, and where God is just going to kill people or anything like that. Now, for me to say exactly how it's going to be would be as foolish as what it would be for the prophets of the Old Testament or the people of the Old Testament that would read the, what the prophet said and try and predict how it's going to be. What I can tell you is this, and I can tell it with great surety. We will not but be able to say God is good in the end time judgment. When the fire of God falls in the end time judgment, when Jesus returns, we will say, what a good and loving God we behold. That's what we will see. That is the truth about it. That is who God is. He's always been a savior. He wants to save. He wants to save us from unrighteousness. He wants to save us from what kills us. That sun that comes up, the Bible says there's healing in the wings of that sun. When the sun rises, it's a day that is, that's dawning. Now the sun of righteousness, S-U-N of righteousness, means the day wherein what is right towards you will manifest on account of the power of God has dawned in Jesus, my friend. This is not a day of anger. It is the day wherein God 
refines our beliefs from everything that's wrong. And my, my heart and the wish that I have is that all of you that listen, uh, you pastors that slot in and listen to this later during the week, I want to encourage you, don't just listen to this message to try and um, nitpick or try and find fault with this message. This is the truth. And let it just touch your heart. Go and say to God, God, I want to just know your truth. I want to know your love. Maybe this, you feel that if I talk about this goodness, it's burning you. No, yes, but what about this verse? What about, and you're going on like, you know, a good example. I don't know who of you, I'm going to use this example. I don't know what my wife's going to say about it, but have you watched Dumb and Dumber? Now, if you watch Dumb and Dumber, this guy gets this girl. And the girl wants his number. But in the meantime, he was filling up the car with gas. And then he was smoking or something. And then his pants caught fire. And then she wants to take a long time to give the number. And after a while, <laughs> he's trying to keep his pose, you know. But his pants is on fire. And then he starts shouting at her, Just give me the number! Now, so many times when we preach this goodness, I see some people squealing as if the pants is on fire, man. You know, I don't want to hear this. But this is the good news. This is what sets people free. And this is what you actually need. And this is what I need. And this is what all of us need. God has come and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? It's the holy atmosphere of the Trinity. Wherein God dwells in a spirit of kindness and goodness and forgiveness and mercy. That's what it is. And fire. In other words, God will come with a loving atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. And He will baptize us in, uh, inside the new revelation and inside His love. And it will burn up all that is not true about Him that we have believed. And we will have a brand new life. Glory to God. Isn't that good news? Well, I've preached myself happy. Um, I just want to say again, you know, uh, just that I sit here in the studio and everything, I want to just say thank you for the people that sponsored this studio. It's such a blessing for me and everybody that was just involved and, and helped with us. I am grateful to God. It's just a God thing. Um, and I am so, so thankful, you know, to see what will come from this. You know, all the concepts of God cannot provide or if you don't preach tithing or sowing and reaping, you will never get anywhere or nothing can come your way or anything like that. Just by the love of God in what is done in Christ and how it manifests in my life has already burnt up a lot of people's ideas on um, their teaching on finances and all those kind of things. I want to just thank you guys and thank you for listening. It is, you know, if, if you have a heart to minister to people and you come and you sit down and you allow me to wash your feet, it just, it's a blessing to me and it's a blessing to God. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for watching and uh, make sure you share this message with people. Let us just pray together. Father, thank you so much for your unquenchable fire. Lord, how the end time judgment will physically look and manifest, we don't know. But what we do know is that it will not be different to what you've done in Jesus when you walked the earth. It would be 
a place where you comfort those who mourn. You comfort those who've got death in their bodies by making them immortal, by taking away all sickness, by taking away all the ability to sin, by taking away all of those things, by making the planet new, making everything new. Thank you so much, Lord. You are such a good God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. I just want to say this. If you've been um, watching and you've been blessed by this, please let us know. Or just put a comment on the Facebook page if you feel bold enough to say we associate with this message. Um, do that. Uh, in that way, your friends can see this and they can also come to know this truth. You know, God's heart is burning to help people. That's what it's all about. It's not about Bathy Brits, Dynamic Love Ministries, Dynamic Love Web Church, or anything like that. It's about God just wanting to help people. And He's done it all, and He wants to manifest it in their lives. So if you feel free, and if you don't, it's fine. But if you feel you want to share this, please do. If any of you want to give towards this ministry, it's very simple. You can just go to uh, dynamicministries.com and click on the donate button and do whatever is in your heart. Thank you so much, and God bless.